Do you ever feel that of the flock of 100 in Christ's parable, you are always the one straying from the 90 and 9? Do you ever wonder if the good shepherd gets tired of bringing the same one back time and time again? The truth is that we are all in various ways and at various times lost. Each of us wanders from the good shepherd. Yet no matter the depths and distances of the valleys we stray to, he will continue to beckon for us, offering true life. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit may teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. Many years ago, I went on a hike one time with some of my friends and I broke off from the group and ended up being alone, lost and in the dark. I remember at that moment, I felt just truly, truly what it felt like to be alone and even abandoned. And it was definitely very hard for me. I love to hike. I've been lost before when I've hiked up all the beautiful mountains up here. And I decided I didn't need to bring a map. And I was bouldering and I realized after a good little amount of time that I was lost. And luckily there ended up being some cell service and I was able to find um, back where I was supposed to be. But it was a little scary <laughs> for a little bit. I think being physically lost and being spiritually lost are very similar. Uh, whenever I'm physically lost, uh, I like to pull up Apple Maps and figure out where I'm going, what turns I should take, what's the best route to get where I need to be. And I feel like that's very similar spiritually. And we ask our Heavenly Father, um, you know, what turn should I make? What should I do in order to get where I need to be? Just like when you're spiritually lost, sometimes you rely purely on your own strength and your own knowledge of things. And when I choose to bring in the Spirit and I choose to follow the prophet and follow the scriptures and his impressions that he's given me, I feel so much more confidence in knowing where I'm going rather than just relying on my own strength. Welcome everyone. My name is Ben Lomu and I am your host. Our gospel scholar for today is Jennifer Lane. Jennifer has a PhD in religion with an emphasis in history of Christianity from Claremont Graduate University. She was a professor of religious education at BYU-Hawaii for 19 years and is currently part of the Neil A. Maxwell Institute for Religious Scholarship at BYU. Jennifer, welcome. Thank you. So happy to be here. And our special guest for today is Albert Wild. Albert is an entrepreneur, a business owner, and runs a sheep ranch with over 2,600 head of sheep. His pioneer ancestors settled the land of in Croydon, Utah, where he now ranches and lives with his wife, Karen, and seven sons. Albert, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. And we're also joined by our studio audience. Thank you so much for being here as well. And to the viewers at home, thanks for joining us. We invite you to share your thoughts and insights and feelings with us through any of our social media platforms. Today, we've selected two topics to discuss that relate to passages found in Luke chapters 12 through 17 and John chapter 11. These topics and discussions support and build upon the Come Follow Me resource developed and published by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The two topics we're going to discuss are first, Heavenly Father rejoices when those who are lost are found, and second, how being a good shepherd brings life. After exploring these two topics with our panel and studio audience, we'll move on to the footnote section of the show, which is a deeper dive and discussion with just Jennifer and Albert. 
So Jennifer, as we get into this first topic, Heavenly Father rejoices when those who are lost are found. What sort of background and, and context can you give us about this topic within these chapters? Sure. So these chapters we're looking at contain some of the most famous parables that the Savior gave in chapter 15 in particular. But I think as a principle to understand how to read them best, uh, a statement by the prophet Joseph Smith has been really helpful for me. So he taught that when we're reading a parable or reading scripture, he says, I have a key by which I understand the scriptures. I inquire, what was the question which drew out the answer or caused Jesus to utter the parable? And so, for example, if we look at this chapter 15 with all of these lost, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, that the context, the setting, what was the question that drew out the answer is in the first couple verses. And so understanding that helps make the rest of the chapter make more sense. Because sometimes uh, we just jump straight to the parable yeah. not realizing what led to right. the parable. It makes it harder to understand the parable if you don't know who is he speaking to, what is their issue, what's their concern, what's their problem, how is he using the story to help teach them. And sometimes the story is a really powerful way of calling someone to repentance because they hear the story and then they can reflect on their life without it being such a personal attack. Okay. And so I think these parables are a really powerful way telling these stories to invite people to, to re-examine their own lives. So uh, as we jump into some of these parables, um, quickly, I think a lot of people can recognize that from Luke chapter 15, we have three very powerful parables about things getting lost. What can you teach yeah. us, uh, Jennifer, about these three specific parables in Luke chapter 15. Yeah. Well, again, to go back to the beginning, I think that'll help us understand where it's publicans and sinners who are people who are ritually impure, but they're coming to the Savior. But then the Pharisees are looking and saying, wait a second, why are you, Jesus, a holy person, letting these impure people come mm -hmm. to be with you and then come to eat with you, which they, and the way the Pharisees saw the world, they believed that eating with people who are ritually impure would make you ritually impure. And so they were, they were not understanding why Jesus would be doing this. And so I think that by telling these stories, Christ is speaking to them and asking them to rethink how they are looking at the publicans and sinners. And within these three different parables, whether it's the sheep, the coin, the brothers, we're all lost in a different manner. And Albert, you, with your experience working with sheep, uh, what are some things that you can teach us about how a sheep, for example, would get lost. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of times when we talk about a sheep getting lost, it's that the sheep is somewhere that the shepherd doesn't want him to be, okay. right? And typically the sheep isn't like thinking to itself, oh, I'm lost, right? Um, they don't recognize that. But it's the shepherd that's like, you are not where you're supposed to be because, you know, and that could be a, a problem for a number of reasons, mm -hmm. you know, whether they're uh, in physical danger um, or whether they're just in danger of, of being left behind, you know? Um, so, you know, that's, that's the thing with the sheep is that I, that I think is important is that the sheep doesn't realize it's lost. So as we draw some connections to the true message that the Savior is trying to teach, what are some different ways that people can become lost? Jamie. Uh, I've had the opportunity uh, in the last 10 years of my life and my marriage to move around a lot. And um, 
I have lived in places where, uh, you know, there haven't been many, many members of the church. And um, like our, our friend here said, sometimes people don't realize they're lost. And so I, I really do connect it to missionary work, whether I um, come in contact with people that I just see that they're missing the light and the, the love of our Savior and the gospel and the joy that it brings into my life. I also think of my children and how I have been blessed with the responsibility and privilege to teach them about our Savior and these stories about Him and the importance of the Holy Ghost and that it can testify to us the truthfulness of the gospel and of our Savior. So Jamie, as a mother, what sort of responsibility do you feel, you know, thinking about your children and trying to keep them in the fold so that they don't, they don't become lost? There are a lot. <laughs> there are a lot of things. I will say this. Um, I have four boys, and when my oldest, he was the only one at the time, he was three years old, my husband and I sat down and said, we have to start now. That, you know, it, it was small at that, at that time, but it, we never missed a night. It was one paragraph from the scriptures every night that we would read. But not only that, but tried to explain and understand what we were reading with him so that we could all benefit as a family and grow on our paths together as well as individually and instill those habits in, in him at an early age. And it's been a real blessing in our lives. That's great. And I love to see the effort that it takes, you know, to keep uh, those around us in the fold as, as Christ is trying to encourage. And yet, despite all of our efforts, sometimes, as we discuss, things do get lost. We had a, a question come in from one of our viewers about that, about those that get lost and wander. And I'd love to get some of your thoughts on how to respond. Hi, I am Hansel Hernandez, and I am from Venezuela. Right now, I am living in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And my question is, what can I say to someone who has left the church because they were hurt or offended by a member or leader from our church? I think this is really relevant to today. And Jennifer, as far as these three parables, which one would you say that this connects to? And then how do we help answer the question? Yeah. And this is a tricky one because I, to my mind, it's a little bit like the coin as well as the father and the sons, because there's a sense when somebody's treated badly, that there's been neglect, that other people have made choices that make it harder, mm. having compassion and recognizing someone's been hurt, someone's been treated badly, and be empathic and not dismissive mm -hmm. of what someone's experienced. But at the same time, because we're not objects, we are agents, recognizing, I think, two things. One, that those who stray are still loved and that they need to know they're loved, no matter where they are, that they're loved, but they're also welcome home. And I think that prodigal son, he was at a point where he was so desperate that he would, was willing to be a servant in his father's house. He wasn't wanting, expecting to come back for some great inheritance. And sometimes we had to go pretty low before we come back. Mm -hmm. And part of it was recognizing that they may be in their own time, that they might get to a place where they choose to turn around okay. and to recognize their agents. But it also helps, I think, to remember the other son who didn't physically go away, where I think where we can be more humble and recognize that we may need to change just as much as they do, even though we, we're still showing up every Sunday. You know, and, and I love, uh, Albert, uh, working with sheep, what are some things you can teach us about some of the characteristics in sheep that can help us when we relate it to people and how to help bring them back into the fold? So, um, you know, one of the things that uh, the times that we have sheep get lost or run off 
is, you know, when we're trying to, to round them up, you know, take them to the corral, um, you know, so that we can um, doctor them or take care of them. And inevitably, as you are doing that, many of the little lambs will run past you, right? And they'll run away, going the opposite way. And one of the things that my dad and my grandfather always taught us was, you know, when they do that, just stand still, right? Just keep your peace. And because that lamb will only go out 30 or 40 feet, and then they'll stop and they'll listen and they'll look, and then they'll see, you know, their mom or they'll see the rest of the herd and they'll go, oh, that's where I want to be. But, you know, any time that we have someone new come and help, the tendency is always to go chase them. And as soon as you do, you know, that lamb will just start taking off. And pretty soon they won't be 30 or 40 feet from the herd. They're going to be, you know, 500 yards. And at that point, you're not getting them back. Mm -hmm. It's too hard. Um, You know, so I think that that's a, a way that we can, you know, apply this to, you know, to our family, our friends is, you know, everyone does have, you know, their own path. And, um, you know, sometimes we want people to do certain things, um, which may not be what is needed for them, uh, but to hold our peace, Mm -hmm. right? Don't chase, right? Show love and encouragement, right? But don't chase them. And we see that example uh, played out with the, the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. When the son comes to the realization that he has taken himself out, that he's wandered, uh, in verse 20, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. So you see how his father stayed back. And sometimes you're right, people have to figure things out but he was there waiting and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And just what a beautiful image of allowing, we have to exercise our, our, our agency, um, yet he was willing to welcome him back and accept him into the fold. And I think that expression that had compassion is so important. And I think it relates to the, the not panicking and not scolding and because we're, we're anxious about them, but instead, to have even more love and welcoming so that they're happy to come back rather than feeling like they're being chased. Mm-hmm. And I think that is really a beautiful image for helping people know, you know, it's, it's okay to have questions. Yeah. It's okay to have concerns. And I love you and the Lord loves you and it's okay. And they feel safe and welcome rather than they're being pushed away. I was just going to say, you know, here the Savior is giving three different parables. They're very similar but they really are distinct. You know, with the sheep, uh, it is something external, right? Uh, With the woman who lost the piece of silver, it's personal and it's very inside. And and I've thought before that, you know, with the Pharisees and Sadducees, that they're looking at these who are sinners. Is the Savior really meaning that the sinners are the woman who lost the silver and they found it, right? Um, And so, you know, again, when, when it says in 17, and when he came to himself, right? So he came to realize, he, he came to say, I've lost something here. Yeah. I had something and now it's been lost and I'm gonna find it again. And that's what he does is 
he, you know, he decides to go back yeah. home mm-hmm. and find what he had lost. And it wasn't about the money or the, you know, the inheritance. It was about the the care, the love, you know, that that his father and his father's house had. And that's the beauty of these parables. It really does show us how much we are loved and how much the Savior wants to invite and welcome us back into his fold. Uh, Thank you so much for your comments and for your stories and for the audience. Uh, Thanks for sharing with us as we've talked about this first first topic of how our Heavenly Father truly rejoices uh, when those that were lost are found. And for your viewers at home, what are your favorite takeaways from these parables about the lost? Share with us on Facebook and Instagram. I know that Jesus has been the good shepherd for me because it's even in small thoughts and feelings or things that people will say to me, I know that God's hand has been there. Christ is the good shepherd because he is patient and loving and he will leave the 99 to go find the one. And sometimes I'm that one sheep, sometimes you're that one sheep. Um, I think everyone at least once in their life has been that one sheep and Christ has had to come to us uh, with a loving and understanding and bring us back to uh, his light. He was willing to um, leave his heavenly home, his uh, exaltation, and come down to uh, take on flesh, to live with us. Not not to just guide us from afar, but to walk with us, to, to be right next to us, to experience the same things that we experience. And I think that that atonement is the ultimate expression of charity and love which is what makes him the Good Shepherd. Our second topic for today is how being a Good Shepherd brings life. And we are so fortunate today to have our very own Good Shepherd, Albert. As we focus on the Shepherd in Luke chapter 15, I wanna look at some of these specific things from this parable uh, as it pertains to not only the one that's lost, but also the rest of the flock. And Alba, I was wondering if you could just kind of teach us a little bit about some of those duties and, and what we can learn from the rest that are left behind as it pertains to the role of the shepherd. Yeah, you know, as I um, was reading this, I, I saw the footnote here that leads to the Joseph translation. And in the Joseph translation, it says, and if you lose one of them, does not leave the 99, and it says in the wilderness, but the Joe Smith translation says, and go into the wilderness. So that makes a lot of sense to me because what that's telling me is the shepherd took care that the 99 were safe and you know were secure um, wherever he had them. And then he went back out into the wilderness where the sheep was lost. Every fall, we have to move the sheep from the high country back to the low country to sell the lambs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as we do, the lambs are now older. They're, you know, uh, are becoming more independent, less dependent on their moms. And so they pull off more to themselves. And so it's very easy to leave some of them behind. Is it kind of like the teenager years? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They, they, you know, they want to see what the world has to offer. And, and so, you know, as we take the the 2,000 head of sheep and their lambs and cross them back into the low country, then some of us have to go get the corral ready. Some of the, the shepherds have to continue watching the 2,000 sheep. And then we just send one or two back 
to try and find you know those. You know, it, it reminds me of Elder Uchtdorf's talk, Lift Where You Stand. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone has a purpose in, in the kingdom. And, you know, every role is important. And I love that, Jennifer. We see so many parallels to this in, in the modern Church of Jesus Christ with some of the roles that we play. Um, can you speak to a little bit about uh, some of those things that we can do to take on and, and help as a community, as a church, to gather in those that are lost. Yeah, I, I do think that this is a principle that's incredibly important to, to realize it's not just the missionaries who are out in the field that are gathering mm-hmm. Israel, but that you know, any time that anyone does anything to invite other people to come to Christ, as the prophets taught us, that we're gathering, and that whether it's you know me and my husband with our little tiny primary class. <laughs> or people who are reaching out to their neighbors or caring for ministering brothers or sisters. I mean, that everything that we do, whether it's in our family or friends, um, to help people feel loved, to help them feel welcome, to know that they are, are valuable, that they have that worth, wherever we are, I think this is sort of the lift where you stand, wherever we happen to be standing any time of the day, in any role that we have, that we can be part of helping people feel the love of, of God and helping invite them come back, helping them feel how precious they are in his sight. As we talk about the good shepherd bringing life, we have this beautiful illustration from the Savior's life, a story of Lazarus. Can we talk a little bit about yeah. that story? Something this story tells me, so we're in John chapter 11, is how important it is to trust the good shepherd because we wanna be cared for when we wanna be cared for, how we wanna be cared mm-hmm. for, And that is not what he does here. So he's told that a very, very close friend is dying. And so in chapter 11, verse 6, where he said he'd heard that he was sick, Christ waits. He waits two days in the same place where he was. And then he says, okay, now let's go down. So they're up in Galilee. And by the time he gets there, his friend's dead. And everyone might think, well, that's not a good shepherd. Mm -hmm. But, But what he has in mind, what he's going to accomplish is bigger than just healing the sick. And it's bigger than just raising the dead because he's raised the dead before. This time he's raising someone from the dead who's been dead for four days. And everyone's persuaded that that is absolutely not possible. And so he's going to do something that is going to give a witness of his power and his love that I think he's hoping is going to help increase their their confidence when he's going to die and then know, know that he has power over death. Um, if we move to verse 21, so he comes and Lazarus has these two sisters who, of course, are just heartbroken, but they're not mad at Jesus, mm-hmm. but they're sad. So Martha says to Jesus, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Now that's faith. It is faith that, that Christ would have had power to, to heal him, but it's also a feeling of loss. Yeah. I mean, he's, this is real. Like she's just lost her brother. But if you look at the next verse, but I know that even now, Whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. So, so this is really so someone who's not angry, who trusts. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then Christ promises, thy brother shall rise again. But Martha still, you know, she's, she's looking ahead long term. I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And then Christ's witness here in 25 is central, is to being the good shepherd. He's the source of life. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And so that is a good shepherd. He 
can look at our individual lives, our individual situations, those of our loved ones, and even though we think someone's dead, I think this is what part of this story tells me, he has the power to, to bring back. And, and then, of course, by raising Lazarus, gives us a chance to see that we can trust him and we don't have to be afraid. Albert, as a shepherd, uh, are there certain things that you do that an outsider would kind of look at as, well, I wonder why is, he, why is he doing that? Where from your perspective, you know it's helping in the long run, the life of these sheep. Yeah, there's, I mean, almost everything that you do, you know, with the sheep is, is for their, you know, their, their health, mm -hmm. their good. Um, you know, I, I mean, there are times you have to doctor those lambs um, and, you know, at docking the lambs, you think, oh, well, that doesn't look too good, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, it is beneficial to help keep them healthy and, and strong. And as you're reading this, you know, he talked about those who are my sheep, hear my voice. Yeah. And, you know, Lazarus here, he, he doesn't go in, you know, but he, he uses his voice and calls Lazarus out. And, you know, with my 10-year-old just this year, uh, we were talking about how the lambs know their mom, right? And, and I told him, I said, it's because they, they recognize the mom's bleat. Okay. And, uh, you know, we raised three bum lambs. And so... Uh, Wait, what's a, a bum lamb? A bum lamb is a lamb that's lost its mother. Okay. So it doesn't have a mom. And so we, then I have my children raise them. And it was just last week, our three bum lambs got out and started eating in my wife's flowers, which, you know, my wife starts yelling and she's like, hey, the lambs are out again. And I'm like, oh dear. I'm like, come on boys, let's go. And so we go out there and I was just gonna go get around him. And my 10 year old said, whoa, dad. He's like, watch. And he starts bleeding to them and they stopped where they were and they came right over to him. And then they followed him right into the, the pen. And you know, that only happens when you really care for mm -hmm. those sheep. And that's what I think Christ does, yeah. you know, with us is, you know, if, if we really listen, we can hear his voice and we can, you know, recognize that. And I, I love that, you know, this whole thing yeah. and, and how he calls Lazarus out just by his voice. And in, in talking about the, the care uh, that your boys had for those for those sheep, we see that same tenderness, that same care, when he uh, as he weeps right. with Mary and Martha, wow. even though he knows what he's about to do. Can you talk a little bit about that that side of the yeah. Savior, really looking after the needs of Mary and Martha? Right, that that he the sort of mourning with those that mm -hmm. mourn, as we covenant to do with our baptism, and so both of them. Um, so we're in verse 31, 32. So Mary comes to where Jesus is, saw him. She fell down at his feet. And so again, the same thing that Martha had said, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. So again, faith, but grief and loss. And, and Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews, which again, they're all Jews. So these are going to be friends and neighbors um, weeping, which came with her. So, so everyone's feeling this loss. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And then we see in verse 35, this is very, if, if you memorize the scripture, it's very short, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> Jesus wept. 
again, there's this personal connection, like like your son and and the little lambs. And now some of them may be a little critical, like couldn't he have saved him? Um, but but again, I think this the love that he he he's almost pausing. Like he could have just jumped right in and called Lazarus forth from the graves, but he does spend time with the people sort of where he is right now is with the people who are mourning and he spends time with them. And, um, and I think that that teaches us something as well. You know, and this just dawned on me, how in verse 36, and the Jew said, behold how he loved him. I'm wondering, I don't know if Jesus was weeping for the loss of Lazarus because he knew he was bringing him back. I don't know if they understood that he's weeping because he sees how Mary and Martha, how their heart is breaking and their sorrow, teaching us and showing us just how truly like a good shepherd, he loves and he cares for all of his sheep. How does that make you feel knowing that Jesus wept with his disciples that were mourning? Hannah. I just like to know that Jesus will always be there to mourn with me when I'm having a hard time. And even though like, when he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and even though he knew that he still wept with Mary. And so I know that even when I'm having a hard time and he knows that it's gonna turn out all right, he's gonna be there for me. I could feel him and I could feel the Holy Ghost right there with me. And what does the Holy Ghost feel like to you? To me, it's just like this nice little like blanket. It's (laughs) warm and it's happy. And sometimes it's even just reassuring thoughts. It comes in different forms for me, but I just, when it's pure and it's good, then I know it's from God. And what a wonderful illustration of how the, the Good Shepherd really does bring life, bring joy, bring happiness. Thank you both for adding so much to this discussion, this conversation for the audience. Uh, thanks for participating and sharing with us today. And for those at home, we still have much to cover from these passages in Luke and John with Jennifer and Albert in footnotes. So stay tuned. I think I feel the spirit uh, just in feeling. Um, whenever I get a confirmation for something, it just uh, is this overwhelming joy and just this warmth that I feel. I just hear my own voice giving me literal thoughts that I'm like, that didn't necessarily come for me, but I hear myself in it and I I I love that the Lord speaks through my mind to help me do the good things that I'm supposed to. Sometimes I can't tell the difference between the spirit and a thought. And I've learned I used to stop and listen for for that thought to repeat itself, to know whether or not it was from the spirit. But I've learned that if it prompts me to do something that's gonna benefit other people, it really doesn't matter if it's my own thought or if it's from God. And it usually isn't until the end that I find out what my little prompting, how that fit into the big plan and the big picture. And so I wanna make sure I always follow those promptings so that I don't miss out on my part of the big plan. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to building upon our previous discussions about Luke chapters 12 through 17 and John chapter 11 with Jennifer and Albert. I feel like I've learned so much already from our previous discussions, and I feel like there's so much more to talk about. Uh, one thing I would love to to go back and touch on a little bit uh, is something that I, I think often gets overlooked with Jesus and Lazarus. Uh, Jesus wept. Can we go back, Jennifer, and revisit that a little bit and talk a little bit about what we learned from the Savior through this experience? Yeah, this is a, it's an interesting counterpoint to those 
passages in Luke 15 where we were putting so much emphasis on rejoicing together and rejoicing with each other. But I think it's the, it's the same principle that sharing other people's grief is as important as sharing other people's joy. And so we see here how he is interacting with Mary and Martha. So you have it from- This is in John chapter 11. So in John chapter 11, starting in verse 20, Martha comes out to meet him and he has this long discussion with her. Verse 32, then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And I think she can express her feelings. She can express her grief, her loss, um, because she feels loved. And that he weeps, you know, a few verses later, I think is just an extension. It's a physical manifestation of the state that he's already in, mm -hmm. which is really being open to her and where she's at and not kind of scolding her or putting her down. Which I keep good. It's like, hey, it's going to be okay. Stop yeah, worrying about fine. it. Right. <laughs> it's yeah, fine. it's fine. And sometimes we do that to other people when they're mourning. Um, it's like, oh, you'll see them again in the next life yeah. or something like that. And that is not what the person, I mean, we all have to kind of catch ourselves because they just need to know that, that, you're, that you're, you're really so sorry and you yeah. love them and not try to make them stop feeling mm -hmm. sad. And I think that the Savior models that for us, that he mourns with her and weeps with her and listens to her rather than trying to correct how mm -hmm. she's feeling. Yeah, you know, I that was one thing that my wife and I realized with our first child uh, was born, stillborn, and at eight months. And so, I mean, it was hard, but so many people, you know, wanted to come up and they want to give you, you know, condolences and, and that, which is, I mean, it's appropriate. Mm -hmm. And, um, but, you know, as, those going through it, you you do just need some time, mm -hmm. right? You just need to be like, okay, I've I, I just want to think for a minute. I just want to feel for a minute what I'm going through, and not be rushed or you know, you know, like you say, you don't want you really don't want someone to come up and say, well, hey, you shouldn't feel that way yeah. at all, you know. So because I think it is important to to have compassion. I love this example of what he's showing us. This is what it looks like to mourn with those that are that are in mourning. And there are so many uh, other things within these chapters that uh, we weren't able to get to earlier. And so I'm really excited. Yeah. Uh, and one of those is some of the, the Savior's teachings about the Sabbath. Right. Uh, Jennifer, you want to lead us through a little discussion yeah. on this? Um, part of what the Pharisees are trying to do here is um, maybe catch him a little bit. Mm -hmm. Chapter 14... He's actually at the house, if you look in verse 1, of one of the chief Pharisees. And someone comes up who has a disease. And I think they, that the Savior is trying to maybe use this as a teaching opportunity. Okay. And so he asks them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? And they're not, they're not going to say anything. So in verse 4, they held their peace. And then he does heal them. And then he teaches this principle. And in chapter 14, he uses the example of an ox falling into a pit. Would, wouldn't you pull him out? And Matthew tells a very similar story. And it's the same question of, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days? Matthew 12, verse 11, he said unto them, What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep? And if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not hold on it and lift it out? How much 
then is a man better than a sheep. Wherefore, it is lawful to do well on the Sabbath days. So this sense of having the compassion for people in trouble is sort of a natural extension. If you see an animal in danger, you're going to do something for it. And trying to, we should see people as valuable as we do Mm -hmm. livestock. You know, it's interesting because in chapter 13, the ruler of the synagogue, uh, after Christ had had, uh, healed the woman, the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, this is verse 14, Mm -hmm. and said unto the people, there are six days in which men ought to work. In them, therefore, come and be healed and not on the Sabbath. Here you have, you know, the ruler of the synagogue applying work to healing someone, which is interesting because, you know, in six days you have to do your earthly work, mm-hmm. right? But on the seventh day, we always talk about the Sabbath day as a day of rest, right? But it's a rest from our earthly work. And that's the day that we are to become whole, right? That's the seventh. Mm-hmm. And that's the day that we do our heavenly work, right? To become more like the Savior, more like God. And so here, that's exactly what the Savior is doing, right? And and, and I think that's what he's pointing out yeah. about the sheep or the oxen into a pit is that, you know, you have six days that you do your earthly work, mm-hmm. but when you have someone or something that is in, you know, danger, right, of losing life, limb, or whatever, you still work, like mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's a that's a higher work. It's yeah. a higher and holier calling. And sometimes we don't see that, you know, we get so caught up um, in you know, in kind of going through the motions of life and. You know, this is, you know, normal work. This is Sunday work, not recognizing that, you know, sheep don't know that it's the Sabbath. And, they, <laughs> you know, they need to be cared for and people need to be cared for. And sometimes I think we misunderstand what the Savior's work is all about, that it's not programs, it's people. You know, throughout his whole life, his whole ministry, he's teaching to reach out, to love and to care for people in all you know walks of life and in all sorts of ways in which they can be in trouble or in need. That's the real work that he's trying to lead us to come to understand is his work. And I think that example of, of seeing people and caring for people and trying to follow the spirit, like mm-hmm. what is the right thing for me to be doing for this person right now? And I, I think about a, a situation when I was young and my family was moving and there was a deadline and I remember my mom going back and helping work on the house after church and a family friend who loved her and knew the worry and the concern she had, she went and helped and I think, well, okay, is it normally something you do on Sabbath? No, but but she knew that this was something that, that my mom was up against this deadline. And so her love for my mom led her to to put herself out to make it sort of like, I could go home and take a nap because it's the day of rest. Mm-hmm. So instead, she's like, I'm here to to love and to serve and to bless. You have this burden. Let me help lift this burden and, and make it easier for you so you don't do this all by yourself. Mm-hmm. And that taught me a lot about this the spirit that the Savior shows, that caring for us is, like, there's never a break for him. And right. that That is his work, is to to lift us and to serve us. So you have seven boys, uh, Albert. How do you teach them to really understand some of these principles that sometimes traditionally we think, okay, this is 
you know, Monday through Saturday work, this is Sunday work. What are some of the things you've helped teach them specifically being on a ranch? Work never takes a day off. How do you help them find that balance? Yeah. Um, you know, we, there's so much work to be done. Mm -hmm. Um, and yet you have to prioritize what you're going to do. I mean, every day there's a hundred things to do. Um, you know, and so for us on the farm, we, you know, we set the Sabbath day aside Mm -hmm. and say, look, you know, these, the priority is first and foremost, the Sabbath, right? Mm -hmm. Worshiping God. Do the animals still still need to be fed? Yeah, mm-hmm. right. They do, and so we're going to go do that. But does you know the some of the other work that can wait until Monday? Does it need to be done? No. Yeah. And and, and so I think that's the important thing to really show the kids is you know how what where your priorities mm-hmm. lie. Is it lying in helping the the downtrodden and you know um, and providing life? Or is it, you know, somewhere else? So I think that's that's me, and I love that's just, that's exactly what the mm-hmm. Savior is trying to teach the the principle uh, of helping and serving and lifting uh, others. Uh, we have another uh, parable in chapter fourteen that I, I'd like to to ask you about, in, and that's a parable of the Great Supper. Uh, can you walk us through that and teach us a little bit about that? So this is verse seven. So he's putting forth a parable about. Um, about being bidden. And I think, again, part of it goes to this earlier issue that we have of um, maybe prioritizing and Sabbath. So let's look at it together and sort of explore. So he put forth a parable to those that were bidden and marked out how they chose the chief room saying unto them, when thou art bidden, any man to a wedding, sit not in the, the highest room, lest a more honorable man than thou be bidden of him. Now, these are old-fashioned verb constructions, so it's to be invited. Mm-hmm. So and it, I think part of it is don't set yourself up. Don't think, I'm important. I'm going to go sit at the head table. Yeah. Don't um, assume that don't you assume. are the smartest person in the room right. or the most important person yeah. in the room. Okay. Which is, you know, human nature is because <laughs> that's, right. that's the way we perceive ourselves often. And so it's a sort of a message about humility, that there's a confidence and a peace that comes with the promises from the Lord where we don't have to be on display. I think this kind of yeah. goes towards, you know, people's vanity, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, you you want this self-aggrandizement. Everyone to right? see you and yeah. to admire you. And, and yeah, he's teaching a really uh, very simple but beautiful principle, right? That how much greater is it to instead of have your vanity, right, displayed in front of everyone and, and trounced, mm-hmm. right? When the the person who's given the feast or the party comes and says, hey, wait, sorry, you you're in, you know, you gotta go sit down. Uh, rather than, I mean, if if the greatest person in the room comes and sits, you know, and then that person holding the feast has to go to them and say, hey, I, I wanted you to come sit at the head table, right? And so I, I think that you know, it is a human nature thing that he's really teaching here about being bidden. And, you know, and he leads right in to the Great Supper mm-hmm. where he, you know, in verse 16, that he says, a certain man made a great a great supper and bade many, right? So he's bidding all of these people it's to invitation. come. Yeah, and giving them the invitation. Then in verse 18, after he, you know, gives them the invitation, one by one, they start to make excuse. 
Yeah. Uh, oh, well, I can't make it because, you know, I've got, which I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I find it funny. He says, you know, I bought a piece of ground and I'm, I must need to go see it, right? It's kind of an interesting concept. Yeah. It's like, isn't it going to wait for you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's that important. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the, the feast that this person is giving is what's not important. So I think it, it goes back to, you know, our priorities. Mm -hmm. And that leads to this great teaching that sometimes can be misunderstood. It sounds kind of harsh about what the meaning of true discipleship. Mm. If we look in verses, uh, starting in verse 26, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever, verse 27, whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. These can sound like harsh words from our perspective. What is the Savior really trying to teach and help those that would follow him understand. Yeah, and I, th I think you're absolutely right to, to read it in this context, that this is an, a continuation of that principle. This isn't hating in the sense of, well, if you love God, you have to hate everybody else. Right. But part of it is wh who's first. Okay. Only one person can be first. Mm -hmm. And we have to pick, is it going to be our father and mother or the Lord? Is it going to be our spouse or the Lord? Is it going to be our children or the Lord? It's going to be our siblings or the Lord. And so I think he's telling us that true discipleship is always going to be about putting him first, mm -hmm. that discipleship and loving the Lord. We come to realize that we bless those around us by putting the Lord first. Mm -hmm. But initially, we might, might take some faith. Yeah. And, and there is a cost, right? There is a cost to, to what true discipleship means. You know, uh, you, you mentioned you served the mission. I'm sure that before you went out or, you know, it, those are, there are certain things that you have to give up um, knowing as a, as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that there are certain expectations. Can you talk to us a little bit about, Albert, your experience serving a mission and kind of what that did to giving up certain things of your life to go and serve and, and put the Lord first? You know, uh, when I first got into the mission field, I... Uh, met a woman who would come and do our laundry. And she was, uh, her name's Desi. She was a fantastic lady. And she um, had had a hard life. Um, I did not have the opportunity to teach or baptize her. Um, but we became really good friends. And the thing that I learned from Desi was that she had to forsake her family to join the church, unfortunately. And, wow. um, you know, that was hard for her. And I, I mean, it really, I mean, it really wasn't that hard for her because she had found so much happiness mm -hmm. in, in the gospel. Um, but for myself, what it made me realize is how valuable what I had was. I had never thought um, before how how the gospel had blessed my life, right? Like I had just taken it for granted. Like, yeah. oh, it's just always good. It's always wonderful. You know, life is great. And that's the thing I learned from Desi is that it's not always that way and that, that it, there is a true value in being able to focus on God, mm -hmm. right? And to love God first, and then everything else is added on to that. 
You know, I, I love that. And as you were uh, talking and sharing that story, it, it made me think of an, another example from the scriptures about how sometimes we get so caught up in life that we we need to take a break to help us realize what we really have, what we've really been given. And we see that with this account of the, the lepers mm. and the healing of the lepers. And I'd like to, to, to go explore that a little bit. You mind walking us yeah. through this parable yeah, this and we can discuss it? Fabulous. So we're in Luke 17, starting in verse 12. And we know from verse 11 that um, he's actually going to Jerusalem and going from up in Galilee, he's going down through Samaria. And oftentimes the Jews, again, the Samaritans don't always get along too well. And the Samaritans are going to come into the story. This is interesting. So he enters into a certain village and there met 10 men that were lepers, which stood afar off. So ritually impure, people don't want them to be near them. As far as a social status, where would a leper Well, be? a leper would be pretty far down near the bottom. And then the fact that these are both probably Samaritans and lepers, like even double. Okay. So this is very, very, very low status. <laughs> okay. They're ostracized. They can't live with society. And they're desperate. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so Christ sees them in verse 14 and says unto them, go show yourselves unto the priests, because that was part of the step under the law of Moses for being cleansed. And it came to pass that as they went, so they acted, as they went, they were cleansed. And then in verse 15, we see the sort of how one of the 10 respond. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. So he's overcome with gratitude. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were there not 10 cleansed? But where are the nine? They are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And so that implies here, and this is again, this is a sort of interesting twist, that maybe the others were Jews. Mm -hmm. Maybe he wasn't. He was one that was furthest down the ladder. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe that gave him the perspective. I don't know. But he, he had the gratitude. He had the humility um, to not just think about himself and moving on with his life, but to stop and to recognize this extraordinary gift that he's been given and to acknowledge the giver of the good gift. You know, and I wonder, the transition from 15 to 16, as we look at, he says, when he realized he was healed, he turned back and with a loud voice, he's like, thanks, sure appreciate you. That was awesome. I feel great. But then 16, I, I wonder what happens from that moment of realizing that yeah. an audible thank you just wasn't enough. He couldn't just yell with a loud voice to thanks. Then he goes back and he falls down on his face at his feet closing that gap to really show that he had been touched, that true gratitude for, for what he had just received and what he's just been given. In, in the Old Testament, there, the word that's translated worship, there, there's two Hebrew verbs. and One of them is um, to serve, like people serve in the temple is worship. But another verb that's translated to worship is to bow down. Mm. And so we see here, I think, that this because we're talking about what do we worship and what do we love the most. And here, he, his worship and his love is expressed literally 
by this bowing down. And I think that there's a reason why we're supposed to pray on our knees. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that choosing to do practices of worship, whether it's temple worship, whether it's ministering to others, kneeling down to pray, that, that the act of worship reorients us. It changes us. It makes us feel differently about ourselves. It makes us feel differently about what we've been given. I like that this this story comes right after the parable that the Savior talks about, about the unprofitable servant. Mm -hmm. You know, because in verse 8 of uh, chapter 17, well, verse 7, he says, But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, By and by, when he is come from the field, go and sit down to meet, right? Like, so who, who's the boss that says, hey, you know, you've come in from feeding the cows, go, you know, go eat, right? Go, uh, you know, rest or relax, right? right? Which is, I, I feel like a, a thank you. <laughs> you know, hey, you've done the work, right? Thank you, go rest. But he says, you know, rather we say, no, 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 uh, Make ready wherewith I may sup and gird the, and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and, and drunken. Afterwards thou shalt eat and drink. Here he's talking about those who who are an unprofitable servant mm -hmm. because they don't think to think. Right. Right. Which is President Monson's you know motto. Um, but you know this this leper here that that realized he he was like the man that was like hey. I'm going to go give thanks before I take care of anything else yeah. that I need to do. Yeah. So putting the Lord first. Right. Yeah. Well, it's been so just enlightening. It's been so neat to talk to you and to learn from you. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me and inviting me to come. Absolutely. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. And Jennifer, it's always so great to work with you and, and to see the work you put in and learn from you as well. Thank you so much. And to the viewers at home, thank you for joining us in this discussion from Luke chapters 12 through 17 and John chapter 11. I encourage you to record and act upon any impressions you've received. For more content, visit byutv.org slash comefollowup. In our study next week, we're going to be studying prayer, family, and more from Matthew 19 and 20, Mark 10, and Luke 18. Thank you for watching. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.